and uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Uh, I would love for you to read this along with me, just so you know I ain't making none of this stuff up, all right? Uh, if you don't have a Bible, let me know. We'll get you one, uh, or you can just download it on your phone, all right? Uh, power of technology. So right here, let me just kind of catch us up to date of what's going on uh, in the Gospel of John. Jesus has ended his kind of uh, public ministry and now is in this, we'll call it a long sermon to uh, the OG here. And he's with these guys and he's telling them a lot of different things and he's giving them a vision. What I believe what he's doing here is he's giving them a vision of what God wants for them and what God's vision is for the world. And he's giving them a vision also for the church. He's given them a vision of the church, and so the next few chapters is going to be really just Jesus kind of laying out his vision for his disciples, and not just disciples there in the room, but this is going to go outside of the room and be the vision for all future disciples. And this vision of his church goes beyond any one of these individuals in this room. And that's really critical uh, for us to think about over the next few weeks when we talk about vision for the church, vision for our church specifically, like it has to go beyond a personality. Okay. A vision for any church, and, and church locally, not just universally, but church locally, the vision for it has to be beyond a personality, which means it's not about me, which means refuge point cannot be about Matthew, nor can it be about you. Amen. It also means that it's got to go beyond our preferences. So the things that we like, the things that we hold on to, like our vision for God's church has to move beyond traditions and preferences. And I would say more importantly, it has to go beyond our comforts. If we come to church for comfort, if we come to church for any of those things, we've made the church an idol and we've made the church about ourselves. And so what I believe Jesus is going to do is he's going to give us over the next few chapters an incredible, amazing look about what his vision is. For the church and there's going to be some questions that are asked in this passage that I love because we all kind of like discredit some of the things that the disciples say and, and in just a moment we're going to find that maybe they're on to something okay so so bef- before I get ahead of myself let me uh, let me pull us back into John chapter 14 verse 1 now the setting here is there is some angst going on inside of them and we can call it panic we can call it anxiety you can call it stress you can call it whatever it is but these jokers are going to feel some tension They're going to feel some anxiety kind of erupt in their own souls and with their own emotions here. And Jesus is going to attack it head on. They've got this emotion where Jesus is just going to tell them, boys, I'm leaving. And they're like, wait a minute now. We just really got this thing started. And you're leaving. And then Jesus is going to just drop the most uh, underestimated phrase of all time. Let's check it out. Verse 1, chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And... You know the way (laughs) to where I'm going. Do not let your heart be troubled. Probably the biggest uh, 
the biggest understatement of the week here that Jesus is going to say. Because less than a few hours, Jesus is going to be standing in trial. And within 24, 48 hours, he's going to be crucified. <laughs> These boys have followed you, dropped everything they had to go follow Jesus. And now this man that they dropped everything for is telling them, hey, guys, I got to go. And it's okay. Do not be troubled by it. What in your life can stand against that statement Jesus makes? What trauma can stand against that statement Jesus makes? Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever anxiety that you have, whatever anxiety that this year has been placed upon you, it cannot stand to the statement Jesus makes here. Do not let your heart be troubled. And this is powerful because nothing can stand against this truth that Jesus presents to us. And he's going to give us the why in just a minute. These boys are filled with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of worry. And let me just suggest this probably for some of us who have, been, who have faced anxiety, fear, panic, or whatever you want to call it, stress. One of the reasons why I think we get in those states of emotions of anxiety is probably because we have placed such a high value on those things. And anytime we place a high value onto something, that's going to cause a lot of stress in our life. Like think about money. Am I stressed about money? Amen. Listen, money's a good thing. It pays the mortgage. Amen, somebody. It feeds. It clothes. But any time that we place a high value on money, that's going to cause a lot of stress and anxiety. And I know like a lot of my parents can amen this too. Place a high value on your children, you're going to be living a life of fear, especially if they love dangerous things, especially if they love riding their skateboard without a helmet, <laughs> and they end up in the emergency room at least once every quarter, hole in their head broken finger, broken toe, like you name it, that boy's had it. <laughs> Children can cause a lot of stress and anxiety. Children, cut your parents some slack for the love of all things that are good. That was just my tangent, and I'll get off of that box in just a minute. When things increase in value to us, we could all agree that those things, this is what's causing a lot of anxiety and panic and trauma in our life. And so just imagine that you're right here in this room and they've had so much value to what Jesus is saying. And suddenly Jesus is about to deal with what is happening within their hearts. Do not let your, hey, hey boys, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And he's going to give us the why. Like, here's why you don't have to worry about it. And this is powerful. Look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, I love Thomas, y'all. Everybody hates on Thomas, but, I, man, I, I identify with Thomas. Lord, we do not know where you are going. Didn't Jesus just say, you know where you're going? Literally, Jesus just said, hey, and you know where you're going. And Thomas was like, no. I don't know where we're going. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, and he gives them 
this powerful truth to him. He says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. There's a lot of questions being asked here. And I love Thomas because sometimes we give these disciples a lot of discredit. Like, y'all just foolish, man. Y'all always asking these stupid questions. But I'm going I'm to give it to Thomas on this one. If I had known, like, think about the context here. Like, Jesus, like God in flesh, he's about to leave them. I would be asking a different question. Jesus, you think you could spare me like a couple billion? Like, I know you're about to leave, but just tell me, are aliens real? These are the questions I'd be asking because this is how deranged my mind is. Like, tell me what's really in a black hole. And can you take me there? <laughs> Come on, y'all know y'all be asking some dumb questions too. Like, hey, Jesus, before you go, can, can, can you tell me like if there are like multiverses? And if I have like a doppelganger on some other universe, because that would be really cool. Is he as good looking as I am not? Can like we exchange? Like I'd be asking some of the dumbest questions and y'all don't act because y'all would be too. But they're like, Thomas gets it though, finally. It seems like they're finally getting it. It's like, you know, Jesus, I know you just said, we know where we're going, but I really need you to stop with all the riddles. Like, all this, riddle me this, riddle me that. Like, I am the way. Like, come on, just tell me. Like, where are we going? And here's the fundamental question that's being asked. Where are we going? Come on, Jesus. I need to know where are we going? That's the fundamental question that's being asked. Not only where are we going, but how on earth are we ever going to get there? These are the two fundamental questions that are being asked in this passage that needs our attention because some of us have been asking the very same question, just maybe a little different. It's a question of purpose and meaning. You're going through trauma. You're going through anxiety. You're going through worry. You're going through like discomfort. You're going through all of these fears and like I just don't know what's going to happen in 2020 and I just need to know where am I going with my life and 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 beyond that like how am I even going to get there Amen. the same question these disciples are asking they're finally asking a very good question it seems like they should have known the answer because Jesus just said you know where you're going but they're like no we we don't know you're about to leave me and Jesus gives them the why that this statement, do not let your heart be troubled, is so comforting. And he tells them, and he addresses to them, like, how they're going to get there. And he addresses to them, like, what is this meaning of your life? He addresses these fundamental questions. Where are you going and how are you going to get there? he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. This is another one of those I am statements, the ego on me statement that he gives, this claim of deity that he says, I am the way. This is so counterculture today because the culture wants you to know that, y'all, just find your own way. Just find your own path. Just find your own way, and the universe will just lead you and guide you. Isn't that what, what the media and what everybody tells you? 
oh, there's so many ways. We don't know if your way is the right way or we don't know if that way is the right way. Just pick a way. It's the universalism idea that all of culture is trying to get us to believe into that there are multiple ways. Even preachers, like people who claim Christianity, to say, listen, there are many ways to Jesus. There are many ways to God. No, Jesus said, I am the only way. Like me, like, like how are you going to get there? Before you even know, need to know where you're going, just know that I'm the way to get there. And he tells them where they're going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, this isn't a physical mansion. I, I hate to break it to you. I know some of you think that I'm just going to have my cabin in the corner of heaven. Thank you, Lord. Y'all remember hearing that like growing up in church? Of course, that was like old school church right there. Just want my cabin, Lord. I ain't going to have no big mansion. I don't know why like an old lady voice is coming out because that, that's kind of like what I hear in the back of my... Deranged mind again. Anyway, it's like, it's not a place like a physical building. Anytime the word dwelling is used in the New Testament, it's talking about the dwelling of God, the presence of God. So here's Jesus answering the question, where are you going? You're going to the presence of God. How do you get there? Jesus. So the questions that you've been asking yourself, like, what is my purpose? Like, what am I even doing here? You probably got in your car and asked that question. Where am I going? Sometimes I just get in my car. I'm like, what am, what am I? What? I just need to stay at home. You're like, where, where am I going with my life? What am I doing? What's going on here right now? Maybe you're stepping into the new year and you're asking those questions because Meaning and purpose has just been a lost idea for you. And you're just asking yourself, like, what am I even doing here in this life? Jesus lays out a beautiful, clear vision, not just for the church universal, not just for the church local, but for the people who are part of the church. You gives you this vision, and it gives you a strategy and a plan to, to, to make it happen. You're going to eternity with me and the Father, the Spirit, and how you get there is me, Jesus. You want to know what your purpose and your plan is? Like, yo, I could save you the money from buying the New York bestseller books on like, like what's my purpose, what's my meaning? You know, you, let me tell you what it is real quick. Eternity with Jesus. Yeah. Amen. You, you want to know how you get there? Got it. There's a deep revelation from the Father, Amen. Jesus. That's good preaching. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And God's given them this vision for not just these 12 disciples here. Well, 11. <laughs> One of them ain't going to make it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> He's given them a vision for church universal. He's given them a vision like for future disciples. Eternity with Jesus. That's your purpose. That's your meaning. I want to spend eternity with Christ forever. How am I going to do that, Jesus? Now that, that seems like it's going to be overwhelming. Look at, skip over to 15. I'm going to tell you why that seems like it's overwhelming. Verse 15, we'll, we'll get back to 12, don't worry. Verse 15 says, hey, if you love me, this is Jesus saying, you'll keep my commandments. 
tell that to my children all the time. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I only got a few. Like, I ain't got this long list. Just got a few. You miss one of them, eternal punishment. Jude knows I'm preaching. I'm preaching right. I ain't lying. And I just take it from Jesus' words. My parenting is from Jesus. If you love me, <laughs> you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. Oh, here we go, y'all, with some Trinity doctrine here, with the doctrine of the Trinity. I'll give you another helper. This word translates as paraclete, which a better way to say this is I'll give you the advocate, like a legal sense. When you are feeling like you're in a courtroom or a trial of your own heart, your heart and your mind is telling you one thing when you're like, no, just, just go this way, go that way, or no, just, just do what your own pleasures want you to do. The Holy Spirit is there inside of you, advocating for you, pulling you back into the fold of God. So he is my helper, and he'll be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is saying that I am the way to get to heaven, to get to this home, to get this dwelling place. I'll get you there, but let's just be straight. If you love me, keep my commandments. Seems a little overwhelming, right? I mean, how many of you, you, you nail the Ten Commandments. You nail, you nail all the Ten Commandments all the time. Anybody want to admit they do that? And if you raise your hand, you're a liar, and you need to repent right now before the building falls in on you and everybody else around you. You do not do the commandments well at all. You ever lied? Yes. You lying right now. You ever hated someone? Jesus said that's the same as murder. You ever wanted something that wasn't yours? so bad that you would get in anybody's way to get it. So let's just, and that's just a few of them. I ain't going to, this sermon ain't going to be that long. Come on, but that seems overwhelming. Seems like Jesus just added on to the anxiety in the room. If I love you, I got to do all this stuff now. But here's the good news of it. Here's what Jesus brings to the table that deals with the stress of even when you fail I'm sending you the Holy Spirit that when you fail that the Holy Spirit's there to advocate for your heart and for your soul listen you ain't going to do this in your own power boys I hate to break it to you like how you're going to fulfill this vision for my church it's not going to be because you're awesome in fact it's going to be the opposite you're pretty terrible these are uneducated, unlearned morons. And I can attest to that. I can say amen to that because that's what I know I am. The biggest moron in the room, y'all. Despite that, here's the good news of the gospel. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is how you're going to accomplish anything in this life. Not how good you are as a communicator, not how good you are at your job, not how good you are at anything in life. It's not good enough. And so the good news is that 
We will accomplish it because now we have the indwelling of the Spirit inside of us. How are we going to get there? How are we going to love Jesus? How are we going to do any of this? How are we as a church going to continue to be a church? The Holy Spirit inside of us. How we accomplish anything here is through the Holy Spirit. Again, not because of a personality, not because of your preference or your comfort. How God chooses to build his church is through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And so here's the crazy thing, y'all. Jesus tells them, I'm about to leave y'all because I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And literally, within just a couple of days, he bleeds and dies on a cross, making a way for us to enjoy in his righteousness, making a way for us to enjoy in the grace of of God, but that's not it because three days later he rises from the dead. And now this gives us this access to eternity because Christ has been raised from the dead. We ourselves, who enjoy in his graces, who have been lovingly accepted by God, will now enjoy eternity with him. But the story ain't over because Jesus goes up 40 days. You know what he's, you know, when he's like doing his little weird Superman thing, and he looks at me and says, Hey, disciples, y'all remember what I told you about that vision? Then I'm going to a place. Let me just add a little bit to it. You're going to spend eternity, but what I need you to do is not keep this for yourself. So what does Jesus tell him in the Great Commission? So now go and make disciples. Because this vision isn't just about these 11 men. This vision wasn't just about these people who are in the upper room. This vision now includes all people. And so Jesus tells them, I'm adding on to this vision. You're going to go to eternity, but I want you to go and preach the gospel. I want you now to go proclaim the good news. I want you now to go and make disciples so that now all men, all women can enjoy in this vision that I have for my church. Just disappears. Sorry, my sound effects. Just goes, and he's there, and he's like, the disciples are like, Wait! You know, surely they're like, wait a minute, hold on. And so they run to this upper room. They were there. I'm sure they were terrified to some degree. They're planning out. They're trying to figure out who's going to replace Judas. Doing all this strategy and everything. And on the 10th day, the 50th day after the Passover, we call Pentecost. Remember what Jesus said he's going to send them? Now comes the Holy Spirit. And he ushers in his vision for his church, not because of the disciples. How was the vision of God now moving through the four corners of the earth? Through the Holy Spirit. How are you going to do any of this? The Holy Spirit comes. And he pours himself out onto these guys. And this is incredible. Peter jumps out. Who is this uneducated? He's just a few days ago denying Jesus. Like, just a few days ago, he's like, I don't know that man. Like, that man cried, I don't know Jesus. Like, to a little girl. Like, what's a little girl going to do? I saw you with Jesus. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. I mean, it's just weird. 
Like he just denied him. And now he comes out fiercely proclaiming, Christ died, you killed him, I killed him. It was our sins that he bore the weight of the world on his shoulders. It was because of us. And y'all, this is crazy. I mean, this is like the most non-seeker-friendly message of all time. You are a bunch of sinners, and you killed him. And you know what they did without the smoke and without the live music and without the preacher being all uh, funny and all this stuff? They repented, and thousands were added to the church. Why? It wasn't because of Peter. It was because God said, I'm sending my paraclete. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And I want you to be a part of this vision that I have for my church. It goes far beyond just you. Now it's about all men and women. And we see this fulfillment here where Jesus says, I'm going to answer the question that you asked, Thomas. Where are we going? You're going to eternity with me. And I want you to get as many as folks as you can because my spirit will draw them to myself. How are you going to do it? Just Jesus. That's it. No cute strategy. We ain't got to break out the four quadrant boards of figuring out, like, what's your personality and all that stuff. We ain't got to figure out none of that stuff, thank God. Because my my personality is all over the map. So how are we going to do it? The Spirit of God inside of us. And then, like, this, Jesus just drops, like, this big old bomb in here in verse 12. Like, because that's, like, big amen right there. But then he drops this big question in verse 12 that I know a lot of us wrestle with. And it has called, caused many disputes among the church for many a year. Jesus says, look back up to verse 12. He's going to lay this out for them. He's going to give it even more detailed for them and how they're going to do this and what it's going to look like. He tells them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Amen. And here's the question. I'm like, what? And greater works than these will he do? Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here he says, you're going to do greater things. Now, let's pause and ask the question. Because <laughs> it needs to be asked. Y'all know I don't skip over no verses, but this is one of those verses like, do I really have to? What are the greater things? What are the greater things? Because many people have taken this verse and like, if Jesus raised the dead, I'm watch me now. If Jesus fed 10,000, watch me now. I'll go feed 10,000 just from a couple fish and uh, loaves of rolls here. Oh, if Jesus prayed with such uh, ferocity, then watch. I'll pray even greater than Jesus. Have you? Have you raised the dead? Let's ask that question. Anybody you know, have they raised the dead? Anybody that you know that has had somebody dead for four days, you go up to them and tell them, hey, you're not allowed to be dead anymore. Have they come out of the ground? No. If you think they have, you're living an illusion. And you may need to seek out help. Right? Zombie apocalypse has not happened because you think you can do greater things than Jesus by calling out somebody from being dead. What is the greater things then? Because if we view greater things as signs and miracles, hear me now, 
And if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and if that's greater things than hear me, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So just read the text as it is. That cannot be greater things. Raising the dead cannot be greater things. I'm not saying it's impossible because God want, if God wanted to do it, he can do it. If God wanted to heal somebody with cancer, he can do it. If God wants to wake somebody up because they've been dead for four days, he can do it. But hear me, you won't. And I'm not trying to be all mean on you or anything. I'm just trying to help you out with what the scripture says. Greater things than what is it then? Because that causes a conundrum for some of us. So what are the greater things? Just two ideas. Two ideas what I think this is that Jesus is talking about. And, and amazing acts of healing and all those things, they're great. They're wonderful. And I believe they still happen. But that's not the greater things that Jesus is talking about. The greater thing is when you preach the gospel. Here's the greater thing. Here's the greatest thing you will ever witness in your life. When God plucks someone from the grip of sin and death, that's the greater things. Now, what does he mean that you'll do greater things than I have done? Let's just look at the life of Jesus for just a second. The greater things, Jesus' ministry, it only reached a few thousand people. Maybe 12, and commissioned to 70-something, and 100-something folks, and, you know, sometimes he'd have crowds of thousands of people. But that was it. Those, those crowds, they, after Jesus wouldn't do what they wanted to do, they just left him. So at best, he, he reached a couple hundred people. Peter comes out of the upper room, preaches. What does he do? Thousands. That's a greater thing. Think about where Jesus is. Jesus' ministry was only just, I, I just he, never, he never even stepped out of the area of Palestine here. So for one thing, greater things is people. It's the reach of more people. One individual, Jesus. Now Jesus, Holy Spirit inside the church, then goes to the four corners of the earth. And within just a few years, the church has grown exponentially. That is a greater thing. Jesus' ministry was only just three years. Ministries last today, decades. Y'all, we've been here for almost 10 years. That's a greater thing. That is a greater thing. Longevity, time with people. More time to reach more people, that's a greater thing. Not only is it just the people, but it's also location. Jesus here is only within the region of Palestine, and now his disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to go to the uttermost parts of the world. And here comes my homeboy, Paul, who goes throughout all of the world, preaches the gospel, and now he's not just in little context of Jerusalem. Paul is everywhere. Just turn the pages. You flip around, he's writing to some different church in some different region. That is a greater thing. What is a greater thing for us 
as a church, reaching more people. That's a greater thing for us. What is a greater thing for us as a church? It's reaching more people. If you're satisfied with what we have now, I would just ask you to think beyond yourself for a second. Because if you're not, uh, if, if the thought that lost people, if that doesn't bother you within your community, there's something wrong. I'm not advocating for us to be some exploding thousand people church. I'm not advocating for that at all. I'm just saying there are lost people within your neighborhood who have not heard the gospel in this southern town where churches are everywhere. If you're okay with that, if we are okay with that as a church, we have to close our doors. If any church says that they're okay with the lost people around them who are dying and going to hell, they're okay with that, they're no longer a church. What are greater things? Greater things for us as a church is reaching more people. And then think about this for a second, because this is going to disrupt some of our comfort. What's also a greater thing? Thinking beyond West Point, Georgia. Where the gospel needs to be spread everywhere. And where the Holy Spirit has empowered you, not just me, but he's empowered some of, he's empowered you as believers and maybe he's calling you to step outside of refuge, to step outside of West Point and go and proclaim in some other place. Maybe he's calling you to go somewhere. We've had that this year in our church. Where multiple families said, I feel called. God's drawing me to go somewhere and start a ministry. And they moved. And praise God for that. Because that's what our church needs. More people who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to say, I'll leave my comforts. I'll go. I'll do greater things outside of what's convenient for me. What are greater things for us, church? It's the spreading of the gospel and seeing lost people saved. That's the greater thing. That's the greatest miracle that you will ever witness. We cannot be satisfied with how things are now. We have to be pressing into the greater things that God has for us. There is more that God wants to do more than what our idea is. He wants to do greater things within you. Where are you going? That's your question. Where are you going? If eternity is not it, then realign where are you going? Where are you going? How will you get there? How will we do the greater things? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit coming inside of us, filling us as we go. And so my challenge for us as we end 2019, we look forward to the new year. I could have said, you know, something cheesy like we're going to have clarity in 2020. Because <laughs> you know, I know a lot of them preachers are saying that kind of stuff. Clarity in 2020. Better vision in 2020. <laughs> 
How about just greater things tomorrow? Greater things in two days. Greater things before you even step into 2020. Greater things in 2021. Greater things when you're no longer here. Greater things when I'm no longer here. Because it's not about you. It's about them. It's about reaching more people. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you.